0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I'm not really sure why I didn't know that the Milwaukee Bucks had as many role player free agents as they actually do have, but I'll tell you what—I know it now. I, uh, I, I feel like I have so. I, you guys know this about me. I'm not like I'm not a contract expert. I have a passing understanding of how this type of stuff works, but I think that for the most part, just by following the NBA as closely as I do, as we all do, I think I have usually a pretty good feel for what teams are ripe for some kind of turnover. And I have to admit that in the back of my mind, I was like, eh, Bucks, they're not gonna have a whole lot going on. But actually, outside of the main superstars, Milwaukee actually has quite a few players that are coming off the books. They're not big money difference maker types, but they were guys that were making a little chunk, and they are there are minutes to be filled provided they don't bring those players back. That's what's coming up uh, on today's show. We're going to break down the Milwaukee Bucks. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, and I am your host, Dan Bespris. At Dan Bespris on Twitter. At Ethos Fantasy BK, if you guys want to catch up on how these teams look via the written word, the Bucks piece was done by uh, Alex Lovelace one of our outstanding writers at Sports Ethos. Now, before we dive into the bucks, we did have some news of the morning. So don't worry, we're going to get to the bucks here in a moment. But I feel like most of you are looking at it like, Dan, come on, Dan, you can't dodge this one. And no, I don't. But I don't plan to. News of the morning coming from all the big names. Some smaller names, too, that got kind of lumped in with the big names. Woj, Shams, you got them both, baby. That Bradley Beal is officially on the market. I guess I could potentially read the the text of the actual tweet that went out, but honestly, it's probably not all that different than what you'd expect. Uh, Shams went on stadium and talked about the heat. As a big-time suitor, the Bucks, who we just talked about, a possible suitor that would involve one of the uh, very large contracts for Milwaukee going back the other way. There's almost no there's almost no way the Bucks could get there with bits and pieces because Beal's making basically fifty million dollars. The Bucks' entire roster, I don't think, is making fifty million dollars if you don't include Giannis Middleton or Drew Holiday. Every team is thinking about it right now. Every team is considering it. You can see Twitter is alive with this discussion. Lakers fans have uh, already inserted themselves into the conversation. I don't. I mean, I don't know that that one makes a whole lot of sense. Beal is is a very interesting player in that. I, Windhorse went on ESPN. He was talking about how he thought the haul for Beal was going to be kind of low, actually just based on mostly the fact that his contract is prohibitively expensive. And, and that would have to be the big deal here. Uh, because from an offensive standpoint, Beal is terrific. He shot 51% from the field this season. Like, by all accounts, that was a really good year. But fewest field goal attempts per game... Since 2016-2017 for Beal, and some of that had to do with other guys in the Wizards being slightly more capable on offense. Kyle Kuzma, Kristaps Porzingis, they took a big clumpo o shots. For Beal, his three-point total, that was his lowest, this is actually the same as last year, at 1.6, but that's the lowest of his career these last two seasons. So he's kind of phased out the outside shot a little bit, or at least he hasn't made them at quite the same clip. Someone's going to go and try to get him, though. Uh, regardless of his big contract. It's not quite the albatross of a Russell Westbrook or a John Wall, because at least Beal's out there and he is making pretty significant positive contributions, at least predominantly on the offensive side. But it does raise the question of what happens to a guy like Beal if he gets moved? A rebuilding team is not going to go get him and his ridiculous contract and then go give him more shots. If he ends up in a place like Miami, like Milwaukee, you've got to figure that his role is not going to be all that dissimilar than from what we saw on the Wizards this season. We've already done our Wizards breakdown show here, but just from a what can you expect standpoint, I don't a, a trade for Beal maybe helps him by totals cuz you'd figure he'd like to get in there for more than 50 games in a given season like the games missed for Beal have been progressively getting uglier and uglier. And he was, remember he had that stress reaction stuff very early in his career, and then he had about a three-year span where he pretty much played in every single ball game, Missed a grand total of five games over three years, and actually played in almost 200 in a row during that stretch. But then, basically since the COVID year, it just hasn't been the same. Missed 15, only about a dozen that... Second COVID season, but then 42 last year, 32 this season. It's been going the wrong way for him, as has his overall fantasy stuff. But again, when you look at Beal, he was number 54 on a per-game basis. Some of that was turnover-related. He averaged almost three turnovers per game. But some of that was just the fact that he has a pretty traditional shooting guard fantasy stat set, which in my opinion is kind of the hardest stat set to turn into a top 25 type of play. What do I mean when I say the traditional shooting guard stat set? Guys who are who excel at points, free throw percent, and then anything else on top of that is just a little bit of gravy. So Beal, because he is better than your average shooting guard, he also is decent at assists. He averaged five and a half of those per ballgame game. He was a little bit better than your average shooting guard at blocks at .7, and he was better than your average shooting guard at field goal percent with uh, 50.6. I'm rounding up to 51, but doesn't rebound all that well, didn't shoot the three ball all that much, doesn't get that many steals in a full complement of minutes, and then again, the turnovers were kind of on the high side. And if you look at the players across the NBA this season, who have what you'd call, again, a traditional shooting guard stat set, meaning guys who's... Best attributes are scoring, free throw percent, and then either threes or assists kind of semi-blended in there, probably threes more so because assists usually sort of scales more into the, uh, into the point guard bucket. The list is extraordinarily short. You could argue Donovan Mitchell was probably the best example of a shooting guard type of player being inside the top two rounds. Because if you look at the very top, you've got center, center, Shea, whatever the hell Shea is, I don't even know. Is he a shooting guard? He doesn't shoot the three ball. Is he their point guard? He's not Josh Giddy. I mean, I guess you could call him a shooting guard, but also 1.7 steals is not traditional shooting guard stuff. And only three pointers is also not really that. So I don't even know what the hell to classify Shea as. His fantasy profile aligns more... With, a, with kind of like a small forward wing type than the traditional shooting guard. Jason Tatum, no, rebounds too well to be called a shooting guard. So I think it's Donovan Mitchell, because it's a lot of scoring, a lot of threes. Free throw percent is really good. He also happened to be very good at steals, and his field goal percent wasn't bad. But he was kind of your, okay, this guy was built on a foundation of shooting guard numbers and still managed to get himself into the top 25. And I would argue he might be the only one. Paul George is kind of iffy in that one because he rebounds relatively well, but it's kind of built on like a shooting guard chassis. DeMar DeRozan's kind of built on a shooting guard chassis, even though he doesn't shoot the three-pointer. Devin Booker is the next one where you can definitely say, okay, yeah, that that guy's a shooting guard. Lots of points. Threes were not that great, but steals, eh, lower assists were okay. Big time free throw numbers, but again, scoring being that big thing. Not I mean to go too far down this rabbit hole, only to say, look, the last time Bradley Beal took his shooting guard stat set and turned it into a jumbo package was not this season, not the previous one, but the one before that when he was taking 23 shots per game. And even the one before that, he also took 23 shots per game. And I'm not even all that worried about his field goal percent bouncing around a little bit in there. He averaged 30 points per game those two seasons with great free throw numbers, good three-point numbers, good to great even. Steals were actually a little bit better those seasons. His minutes were a little bit higher those seasons as well, so that probably played a role. And the assists were a little bit better than average just because, again, he was the primary guy on a, frankly, pretty bad team. He turned that into a functional shooting guard fantasy stat set, but it took all the usage on planet Earth to get him there. That's not coming back. If you're thinking Miami, okay, Jimmy Butler, he's still the guy down there. Bam Adebayo, sure, you can slot in Bradley Beal as kind of another of the main guys, but is he going to get more than 18 shots per game down in Miami? certainly ain't getting 23. Maybe you get him up to 19 because Jimmy Butler likes to pass, likes to get fouled. Maybe he doesn't take as many shots as you'd expect. There isn't that same thing. But then Tyler Hero is down there. I guess he probably would presumably be on his way back to Washington in such a deal. But regardless, I guess you'd have to assume Hero's on the move, so maybe those shots pop free. But he was taking in the high teens this year also. Slot him right into that role. What was Bradley Beal when he was taking about 19 shots per game? Well, he was still decent, but you know the steals have been trending down, the three pointers have been trending down. There's a lot of stuff pointed in the wrong direction. And then certainly, I mean, the argument with the Bucks is way simpler. You take one of the Bucks primaries, you f- switch teams where he ends up in a rebuilding Washington or maybe gets moved to a third club somewhere else, and Beal just takes the place of one of the Bucks big three. I I presume that's the only way to get something like that done. Well, he wouldn't have that many shots there either. Because, I mean, you'd get rid of two of the big three. He'd still be behind Giannis, who's going to kind of run the show down there. That's an easy one. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter. And suddenly you realize... Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. But I'll tell you what, the offseason is officially underway now that we're talking about uh, Bradley Beal being on the move. I even saw some rumors floating around that the Heat might be looking at bringing in a veteran center like an Al Horford, someone to give Bam an opportunity to take a deep breath every once in a while but whatever friends confidants it's wednesday thursday friday saturday sunday you are but four days away from father day father's day now and frankly it's probably too late to get almost anything interesting for father's day because they ain't going to deliver on sunday so you really only have three days Now you're stuck with getting some crap on Amazon that the father figure in your life doesn't like. Or you just pass along this kind message. You say, look, I'm sorry, father figure. Dan yelled at me every day for two and a half weeks and I didn't listen until it was really late. But I still got you something cool. And it's a hedger or it's a trimmer or whatever you want to finish that sentence with from manscaped.com. I was looking at Best Buy, by the way, this is, this is an anti-advertisement. I was looking at Best Buy yesterday because, um, I cashed out as much as I could of what I had floating around in an old dapper wallet from when I was sort of looting NBA top shot two years ago. Um, and I got a little bit of money from various family members for my birthday. And I'm thinking, what do I need? What do I want? I, I couldn't find anything, by the way. But I saw, like, a Norelco wet razor or something that you could take in the shower. And it was, like, almost $200. And I laughed. I guffawed. I chortled. Oh, <laughs> Because I saw that price and I thought, oh. Well, for like 40% of that, you can get a far, vastly superior trimmer at Manscaped.com. And then you can also take another 20% off of that price by using promo code Ethos20 or HoopBall20, which basically tells them Dan sent you, and you get 20% off and free shipping on whatever you get at Manscaped. Their stuff is just better than the big companies that have been doing this crap for decades. They can just shove their $200 wet razors down your throat Or you can go get a Manscaped item, which, by the way, also waterproof. says it right there on their page at manscaped.com. Hedger's got 20 settings between 0.5 mils per setting. So it goes from 0.5 up to 10 mils, millimeters. If you want to trim your beard to an exact length, if you're a very anal beard trimmer, don't trim your anal beard. If you are a, you got what I mean. Pedantic, they call him. Wonder why. Manscaped.com promo code again, Ethos20. 20% off and free shipping on your order. Go check them out today. And run a little bit late for Father's Day, but make it worth their while. Milwaukee Bucks. So the core of this assessment is really, really easy. But the peripheral stuff has a few things still kind of hanging in the balance. The Bucs this year had two players with fantasy numbers inside the top 100 in nine category leagues. Those players were Brooke Lopez, who had the best season of anybody on the Bucks on a per-game or totals basis. Brolo, ladies and gentlemen, not only was a top 25 per-game player, he finished at number 21 at Basketball Monster, if you're using their numbers. I like them. They're pretty good. And by totals, he was number 10, a first round value. Brook Lopez, drafted in the 120 range this year. Proud, once again, to say he was on the Dan Vesper's old man squads. So that was a huge win we were able to capture in a few spots. But here's the thing about Brooke Lopez he averaged 30 and a half minutes per game. He put up some of the best numbers that he's had in many seasons. Where he became, I don't want to call him a primary scoring option again, but he cleared 11 shots per game for the first time since his last year in Brooklyn 2016, 2017 six years ago six seasons prior. He took fifteen and a half shots per game that year. That was that was a chef's kiss iteration of Brooke Lopez. Then he went to the Lakers. And Luke Walton just took a wet deuce all over Brooke Lopez's fantasy value by yanking him around all year. I, re- I still remember that 27-2018 season because I was watching Lakers games going, what in the ever-loving bleep is going on here? You've got the best center on your team who's just languishing on the bench, waiting for something to do. Finally, the Lakers went to Brooklyn. I don't know if you guys remember this. I remember it clear as the day because it was in this moment that I was like, oh, Luke Walton is a terrible coach. Lakers went to Brooklyn. Brook Lopez had a there was a tribute video. The Nets did a tribute video to him that year cuz it was his first game back in in Brooklyn after moving on to the Lakers and Luke Walton played him that game. It was like, "Oh, you know, tribute game. We'll uh, we'll let him we'll let him cook." What's that old thing? Hole up, let him cook." That was basically what happened in that one. I'm trying to remember exactly how the numbers went in that ball game. Uh, Brooke Lopez that year, that was 2017, 2018. So let's see, where was that ball game? That was on February 2nd. So we were basically coming up on the all-star break and Brooke Lopez had not been given consistent minutes at any point, almost the entire season. He had a stretch in like late October, early November where Luke Walton played him he had a game on November 3rd, by the way, that was also against Brooklyn at home, where also Luke Walden was like, oh, I guess I'll play him against his old team, where he had 34 and 10 with three blocked shots. And then between mid-November and that game in Brooklyn in February, he did not once clear 25 minutes. Sorry, one time he did. And if you erase, if you just start your timer a little bit later, between November 19th and February 2nd, one month, two months, two and a half months he didn't clear 25 minutes. Not even one time. And then in Brooklyn, in their tribute game, the, the Luke was like, oh, I guess we can still play this guy. Uh, he played him 28 minutes, and he had 19 points and three block shots. And then the rest of the year, Brooke Lopez pretty consistently got like 25 to 30 some odd minutes, and then in March, he played him starters minutes, and he was amazing. That was a very clear sign that, uh, Luke Walden had no idea what he was doing. Just way over his head. All of that to say, do we think Brook Lopez has this left in the tank going forward? He's not old, old, but he's pretty old. In that, he was born in 1988. When you see 80-something... On NBA players' age, you have to start to think old now, which sucks. As someone who uh, also has an eight at the front of the birth digits, and significantly beyond that of Brook Lopez, uh, April first, nineteen eighty-eight. He's a SoCal guy. <sighs> so he's been in the NBA since uh, two thousand and eight. Nets drafted him two thousand eight. He's been around the league for fifteen damn years now. Yeah. He's getting up there. And 30 minutes per game this season, again, the most he's played in any season since that final year in Brooklyn. And he actually played more minutes per game this season. So as much as I loved what Brook Lopez did this year, it was a resurgent renaissance Brolo, where we just cashed in to a, like, laughing, maniacally giddy-type degree. We also have to be aware that this is a dude that's on the wrong side of his prime, and while he has generally been relatively healthy outside of the back injury that took him out for most of last season, again, another guy who had some stress reaction stuff very early, or kind of middle of his Brooklyn career, and then he like, pretty healthy from 2014 all the way through last year. That's a pretty good run. That's like eight years where he was pretty damn healthy. And then he was healthy again this year. Do we really think his body can take 30-plus minutes per game again? Do we really think he can shoot what was effectively a career best 53% from the field? He had some numbers in that range when he was very young, but he wasn't shooting any three-pointers at that juncture. So that was all twos. This year, he made almost two three-pointers per game on 37% from three. That was the best three-point percent of his career. And frankly, you might have seen Brook Lopez inside the top 18 if he still shot 80-something like... Three, four years in a row, he's shot 84% or better at the free throw line, and this year he was down at 78 for reasons we'll never fully understand. But his rebounding was as high as it's been to 2015. That's nuts. Blocks were, I believe, the highest of his entire career, if I'm I'm remembering this right. But certainly, if not the highest, they were up there among it. Massive, massive block season for Brook Lopez. And it just feels like there's a lot to duplicate there. Now... At the same time, you also have to figure that people drafting Brooke Lopez are also not expecting him to replicate this. So, even though he had a season where he was a second rounder per game and a first rounder by totals, he probably doesn't get drafted in the second round. Also, we don't even know where he's going to be. Brooke Lopez is a free agent. Sure, the Bucks would love to have him back. He was a key part of kind of funneling everyone to Giannis and Brolo near the rim, a technique that fell apart against the Heat when they shot like sixty percent from three point land. But I mean, this dude should get paid. The easy decision would be to just go back with Milwaukee, but we don't know that that's necessarily the case. So, with that in mind. Brooke Lopez is kind of a big, well, we have to see his ADP and where he ends up because there's just too many question marks there. But at the same time, it is kind of hard to see him shooting this same super high field goal percent, blocking a career high in shots, playing his highest minutes in almost a decade, doing it all over again? Probably not. Also coming off the books from Milwaukee, Jay Crowder, who they picked up in the middle of the season and didn't end up doing all that much, Joe Ingles who recovered from a season off with injury and then also didn't do that. They did a little bit more than, it, than Crowder did. Uh, Wesley Matthews finally coming off the books, and then a bunch of kind of fringy players coming off the books. The guys that are still there in Milwaukee, the big three, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, and Punchin' Bobby Portis. Oh, Robert. Rock'em, sock'em, Robert who, by the way, stands to be a huge winner if Brook Lopez does not come back to Milwaukee and they don't bring in a clear-cut center option for next season. But what does that even mean? Well, you got to go back to last year when Bobby Portis played 28 minutes per game with Milwaukee. He was inside the top 60. That was with Brook Lopez playing uh, about a grand total of three to four weeks of basketball last year. Bobby Portis, as a starters-level guy, averaged 15-9 and with two three-pointers and a little under a steal and a little under a block, 0.7, 0.8 of each of those guys. He played in all 72 games, by the way, not this season, but the previous one. So Bobby also managed to stay on his feet. He has the ability to, to push up in near that top 50 range if he becomes the starting center. If not, you saw what happened this last season. He became marginalized by a far superior rim protector. Portis played 26 minutes, so the minutes weren't that much lower, but the opportunity was. Steals and blocks in particular were way down this year for Portis, and that crushed him. That crushed his fantasy value. And so then you kind of have to look and say, okay, well, What does that actually mean for Bobby going forward? Is there a path for him to have fantasy value if he's not the starting center on this team? And the answer is... kind Kinda. I would gravitate ever so slightly towards yes, if only because the steals and blocks this year for Portis were far and away a career-low mark for him. 26 minutes per game, he averaged only .6 combined steals and blocks. Last year, in only two additional minutes per game, he was at 1.4. Over his career, he's been at one combined steal and block in 22 minutes per game. Even as a backup, you could see Portis getting to one combined steal and block per game. And if he got to those marks this year, he would have been inside the top one hundred. Grayson Allen, no. Pat Connaughton, no. Not 12-teamers. Those guys, not 12-teamers. But then you get to the big three. So keep an eye on Portis. Possible bounce back even as a backup. Absolute uh, potential Goliath move as a starter. The big three. Drew Holiday was number 39 on a per-game basis this year. Turnovers were kind of weirdly high for Holiday, at almost three per game. I'm to say that it's like completely unfamiliar territory because he was at 2.7 last year. But he hasn't been at three since he was the guy back in New Orleans. Milwaukee, he was at 2.2 his first season there, 2.7, and then this year, 2.9. The assists have also traveled up for Holiday during his time in Milwaukee, And you could frankly kind of stomach the turnover stuff for Drew if the steals and blocks had stayed where they needed to be, which they didn't. Only 1.6 combined, which is the lowest mark for Holiday since 2015. He was at 1.7 that year. 2.2 and 2 with Milwaukee prior to the 1.6. Which again, you could say, okay, well, this is a guy who's perhaps on his way down. And yes, he just turned 33, two days ago, actually, just turned 33. Happy late birthday to Drew Holiday. So yeah, you could argue that maybe there's been a little bit of an erosion for him on the defensive side. But still, most of the players in the NBA refer to him as one of the best on-ball defenders in the entire league. His shots per game, his field goal percent uh, attempts actually went up this year at his highest kind of offensive role with Milwaukee since he got moved there. Free throw percent, he finally got the yips out for the first time in about five years and shot 86%. So there's actually a window here where, for Holiday, if the steals and blocks inch back up a little bit, he could be a really nice old man squad steal because he always gets drafted near 40, and he always gets near that or beats it. And this year, he was right on it in what was kind of effectively... As poor as it's been in steals and blocks for him. I'll also talk Chris Middleton, who finished at number 146 this year, but we all know what was going on there. His minutes were held in tight check all season long. Never got the field goal percent going. Never really fully got his legs underneath him. And so, you know, next year you're dice rolling with Middleton because for the longest, longest time, Chris had been kind of coasting along, almost in that same range as Holiday, typically a little bit behind him, scored better than Drew, um, but defensive stats weren't as good, and it was all a mess for Middleton this year, who's typically kind of in that like 1.2 to 1.5 combined defensive stat range. This year he was at .9, usually around 5 to 6.5 rebounds. This year he was at 4.2. The assists were actually kind of weirdly high for Chris, in again, only 24 minutes per ball game. Yeah, frankly, with Middleton, the number you're looking at there is just the minutes per game and the games played. If he got up to his normal full speed stuff, it would have been another 26 and five kind of year with a steal, two to two and a half three pointers, eh? Field goal percent like 45, 46, 47, depending on the year, and terrific field free throw percent. But this year, he was just a mess. He wasn't healthy. He never quite got healthy. He had a few good games mixed in towards the end of the season. But it just never really looked like he got his legs underneath him. And so for next year, if you believe he's back to fully healthy, he's probably going to get drafted a lot later than he has been. This is a guy that's typically getting drafted in the 40s and for many years just kind of quietly coast along right in that range. Not a, typically a big win. Not typically a big loss. Every once in a while, you'd have an extra good year and he'd be a small win. And then this year, it all just kind of came apart. I've got to think he gets drafted back of 50 this year. And if that's the case, games cap I might just get suckered into it after he was probably the most annoying player to roster in fantasy this season. I think he might have been the most annoying. Brandon Ingram was up there, too, because he just sat out for like two and a half months with a hurt toe. But with Middleton, it was like, oh, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. And then two days before the season started, when we've all done our fantasy drafts. The Bucks are like, oh, by the way, he's not ready to start the year. Fast forward six weeks, he tried to get in there and still wasn't quite ready. Yeah, I'll say he wasn't ready to start the year. Sheesh. And then Giannis. I mean, what can you even say about Giannis? He had uh, maybe the worst free throw shooting impact year that we've seen in two decades. And so he becomes the poster child for punt builds. If you're not punting free throws, he is an unrosterable player. I mean, obviously, points leagues, that's not, not a factor. But if you're not punting free throws, all the good he's doing you in so many categories is completely wiped out by the fact that he will single-handedly lose you a category every week. The beauty part is, of course that if you are punting free throws, Giannis jumps from outside the top 100 to number 10. This is beyond anything we saw from even the likes of Dwight Howard and Shaq, you know, 15, 20, 25 years ago in fantasy sports. Giannis redefined it here with 12 free throws per game. He was unrosterable if you were trying in free throws at all. And if you drafted him in the first round and weren't planning on punting free throws... Your team build got completely goat bleeped. But if you drafted him in the middle of the first round or early first round and said, oh, I'm punting free throws anyway, well, then it worked out fine. Although he did miss 19 ball games, so maybe I shouldn't say it worked out fine, but it wasn't a complete and total disaster the way that it would have been had you have been punting free throws. Because obviously Giannis, 31 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists, 55% high volume from the field, all that stuff is big, big positive. Three-pointers, no assists were okay. Steals and blocks were kind of weirdly low for Giannis this year, and that does worry me a little bit. Now, the fact that the Bucks got smoked in the first round of the playoffs by the upstart Miami Heat makes me think that perhaps they'll approach things a little bit differently, but at the same time, they did have the best record in the NBA in the regular season while also giving their key guys tons of time off. So I don't know that they need to change their regular season approach as much as they needed to just be ready for an actual playoff battle that they kind of weren't ready for. Do they change the way they defend? Because we know the Bucks' main idea is just don't give anyone anything easy near the rim, force teams to beat you with jump shots that might be a little bit more open against Milwaukee because they focus so hard on clogging the paint. And then, unfortunately, they ran into a team that got super hot from three and just smoked them, and the Bucks had no real answer for it. That, unfortunately, also is the Budenholzer credo, which is we're going to stick to our sort of... And I mean this in the kindest way possible. It's a little bit of an analytics approach, which works over a 1,000 games, but sometimes doesn't over five. And you have to kind of be okay with that, because the numbers game which is a great way to build programs and and wager on things, sometimes doesn't work in the very short term, as as does the opposite side. But this was an instance where you saw a team that just sat on a, a plan that works for them well, really well, over the long haul, and just didn't over the short. But I don't think Giannis' role is about to change considerably anytime soon. He took a ton of shots this year. That was... Uh, they you know, a little bit more fell in his lap because Middleton missed so much time. He dialed his three pointers back down a little, which was frankly a good decision because he's terrible at three pointers. Just stop. Uh but also he fell into a really nasty free throw situation. This was uh second lowest free throw percent, I believe, of his entire career, and certainly the uh the volume of it was the highest, and that didn't go so great. Woof. And there's your Milwaukee Bucks. A lot hinging on whether or not Brooke Lopez comes back. I hope he does, because at least we know generally what to expect. But I guess anything's possible. The world is your oyster, Brooke. Go get paid in it. It's a cash oyster. All right. On to tomorrow. Enjoy your Wednesday, everybody. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today. We'll just put a pin in it, because we got nothing else to do today. Talk to you Thursday, everyone.